Taggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to the very first podcast of 2019. So I'd like to wish all listeners on the podcast and all of you in the vlogosphere a very happy 2019. Hope it's healthy and well. And of course, you increase your chances of that by reading What Doctors Don't Tell You. Talking of which, there are still a few days left in the month as Lynn, my able assistant, holds up the latest cover, the January issue. Still a few days left when it's still available in stores across the US and the UK. And uh, it's a cracking issue, isn't it, Lynn? So anyone who hasn't picked up a copy yet should. Any special things just to mention in, in the issue this time? Well, as you can see, it has a special report about a diet that can help reset your thyroid if you have Hashimoto's disease, um, and millions of people do. So I love that story because it's a real mix of uh, paleo-type diet and also uh, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. So have a look at that. And we also have a great story on restoring your receding gums, an issue for basically anyone over 45 these days. And um, we have We've talked about fasting this time. Which ones are best for you? And of course, since it's January, everybody's thinking about detox. There are actually exercises that work really well for detox, and we've included them in there. Um, ways to shorten a cold or flu uh, naturally. And also a really important story about a ubiquitous product that's available in so many areas of the house, uh, in shampoos, in toiletries, in, in, the, uh, in your cleaning products, and how to avoid it, and how to use natural products instead. Very good. It's a great issue, as they always are. And uh, if you don't get to see a copy in your local stores, um, then you can always subscribe. And you can do so via wddty.com website. And, yeah, subscribe. We'll send it to you every month. Anyway, so without further ado, on to the news. And this particular story has been rumbling on for a very long time. But the fact that it's just been published in a, in a medical journal gives us an opportunity to talk about it a bit more. And it goes back to 2004, when there was still very much for the concerns that Maybe the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, had something to do with autism. And uh, the CDC, the Centers for Disease uh, Control and, and Prevention, decided to take a closer look at this. And they came up with what they felt was a definitive report establishing that uh, the vaccine had absolutely nothing to do with autism. And in a way, this was the beginning of the end of that particular theory. And it seemed to put it to bed that and everyone pointed to this study as being definitive and authoritative. And there was an end to the matter until one of the CDC researchers, a Dr. William Thompson, um, had a bit of a pang of conscience. And he contacted a, a professor of biology called Dr. Brian Hooker revealing that uh, the CDC had actually hidden some of the data. And that particular segment, subset of the data, concerned uh, African-American boys, uh, which showed that indeed there was a link, and that um, children, African-American children under the age of three who were vaccinated 
were four times more likely to develop autism. As I say, this was never published. But uh, Thompson uh, was, uh, I don't know how it happened exactly, but he got in touch, I think, with um, a few filmmakers in the States who were working with Andrew Wakefield, who, of course, was the originator, or one of the early originators of the theory. And, and his revelation inspired um, Wakefield and his team to put together a movie, which came out now 18 months, two years ago, called Vaxxed. Um, and the, um, the hidden data was the pivot of the entire movie. Well, anyway, finally, um, this all the data has been released and has been published by an American medical journal called the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons, where indeed the data sets do establish just what Thompson said they would, that uh, young African-American uh, boys aged under the age of three were four times more likely to develop autism as a result. Um, you know, it, it, is a, it does seem to be an absolute scandal that uh, this has never been released properly before. But uh, what, what do you think, Lynn? Well, we've heard this story and we covered this story mm. when, it, when we first heard about Thompson. And there were several scandals involved here. Number one, it concerned the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, mm. which is the government agency charged with inf protecting the public against infectious disease, and it's also the chief organization that examines vaccines, besides the Food and Drug Administration, which of course has, you know, has its, uh, its various site, the vaccine damage site, where people can report um, side effects. But the CDC is supposed to really closely monitor vaccines. And the fact that they did something so dirty that they actually massaged away this really important data in order to defend this vaccine, which at the time was under attack, um, and instead throw Andrew Wakefield to the, the wolves, who was only the messenger, who was basically coming up with this information as a gastroenterologist, seeing case after case of young children being referred to him who suddenly had terrible gastrointestinal problems, which is why he was seeing them, and who at the same time had suddenly developed autism. And it seemed peculiar to him, particularly because kids get the MMR vaccine when they're 18 months old. So they've developed speech, social behavior, and all kinds of things that oftentimes disappear overnight after they've had the vaccine. Mm. So first of all, that's scandal one. Scandal two, no large-scale news agency or magazine covered that story. It was left to the niche magazines, the alternative magazines like us to cover the story. No one believed it. No one wanted to counter the CDC when that's the job of a journalist is to question the establishment. Instead, they all went behind the CDC and the government authorities to attack Andrew Wakefield who was only trying to make the, the truth public and to protect future children from this vaccine. Mm. But here we have it where, you know, African-American children are something like 28% um, have a higher incidence of autism than uh, other children, than white children. 
So you really have to question why this material did not come out and these kids who are oftentimes among the most vulnerable were put at risk. So that to me kind of, this to me typifies why the real fake news is coming from government authorities mm. and that we have to question them as journalists always in the health field. But I think that the real story about MMR and autism itself has sort of got lost. I think the water's been so muddied and have swirled around all the stuff that Wakefield did or didn't do um, you know, whether he's making money from it, whether he developed a single vaccine, um, how he got these samples, all these issues swirling around it. Um, and indeed, with, with Thompson himself, you know, classified as a vaccine lover, whistleblower, which you know, seemed to me to be beside the point. Surely, if we are governments and agencies around the world saying these vaccines are totally safe, they have to be. And that's the point. And it seems to me that story has just got lost. And you know, bringing this up, this has been, again, this story, the fact is now being published in a, in a medical journal, still being utterly lost, ignored. And yet to me, as societally, this is a, such an important story which we need to discuss. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem of mm. all is that vaccines are a no-no. Mm. If you're not pro-vaccines, you're considered a lunatic. Mm. And it's, it's a question that has to be asked, how safe are these things? Because they're getting injected into healthy children, healthy young children and infants. Mm. And we need to ask that question first. Yeah, and I think it's not a case about being anti-vaccine or vaxxer or pro-vaxxer. It's a case of saying, let's be honest. Let's be truthful to parents give them the actual facts and say, well, you are about to inoculate your child. You have the right to know truthfully what the risks are of this vaccine. And I think that's any responsible government or health agency should be offering that information. You've got to ask three questions if you're waiting to vaccinate your child. How, and you ask it of every single vaccine. How effective is this vaccine? Because some are really effective and some are terribly ineffective. How safe is this vaccine? And really drill down on that question. There is no such thing as a perfectly safe vaccine. We've seen with the yellow fever vaccine, it's just in the news that um, one guy died, another guy went completely mad um, taking this, getting this vaccine. Um, and that story gets repeated throughout every single vaccine in many, many thousands and millions of times. And finally, how necessary is this vaccine? If there's no incidences of a particular disease out there, you know, it's very minimal, why take the risk? Despite all the advances, or so-called advances, in medical science, I think that sort of mental illness remains a closed book. We're really none the wiser as to what really causes depression particularly after the, the serotonin imbalance theory has been thoroughly discredited. We don't really understand what causes bipolar or schizophrenia. And the sort of closest we have to that is that if it's anything, it's a nutritional imbalance. There's a nutritional uh, uh, genesis, if you like, to a lot of these mental problems. And um, evidence for that is... Uh, always forthcoming, and here's the latest 
put together by the University of Queensland, who believe that schizophrenia can be triggered from a vitamin D deficiency when the, when the sufferer is, is born. And they reckon that newborns with the deficiency are 44% more likely to suffer from schizophrenia when they actually grow up to become adults. Um, they in fact think they think that schizophrenia could even have its roots in the womb. So when the the growing fetuses uh, demands on the on the mother and the mother's stores of vitamin D are low, then the baby itself will become deficient and therefore more likely to develop schizophrenia. And I think it's, what is interesting about that is that there are things you can do about it, and that uh, if you just recognize the importance of vitamin D anyway across a whole range of diseases you can start supplementing you can start getting more vitamin D just by sunbathing there's a number of things that you can do which would reduce that that risk and it's just so understanding well if it really is a that just that if it's just a vitamin deficiency we can do something about it absolutely and we have to understand that it's called vitamin D vitamin D but it's not really a vitamin, mm. Brian. It's a hormone, mm. essentially. And we can't produce it ourselves. We can manufacture it once we're exposed to sunlight. That's probably our best source of vitamin D. But of course, for many people who live in northern climates, like we do, we're in the UK, we have many months where there isn't much sunshine. So in that case, it's really important to supplement. And while a lot of obstetricians and, um, and gynecologists bang on about folic acid. They should be looking at vitamin D because it's so linked to so many things. And to, you know, we're now understanding more and more that so-called mental illnesses are deficiency disease or imbalanced diseases. Mm. And that it really has to do with our bodies and our ability to either digest and absorb certain vitamins or our supply. Mm. And it's they're now starting to think more and more that this may be the cause of other uh, so-called mental illness. I know they're starting to look at vitamin D in relationship to autism, which would be a fascinating thing. And then ta- linking it into mm. what we just talked about, that would be interesting just to see if vaccines, you know, lower stores of certain nutrients in the body too at key points in your life. Mm. Yeah, and I think that is true. I think it's, um, you know, because I, I think it almost goes back to this ancient, well, ancient Descartes, if you like, where he made the split between the brain and the body. And I think in a way medicine still falls into that trap, treats the brain as somehow different and mysterious from the rest of the body. And yet, it's obviously not. And, and the fact that it requires, you know, vitamins and vitamins and nutrients just as much as every other organ requires them. And then it sort of makes sense then. Well, uh, Dr. Carl Pfeiffer was really one of the granddaddies of this um, with his um, medical center in Princeton, New Jersey, when he pioneered the whole idea of orthomolecular medicine is mm. what he called it, orthomolecular medicine. And he was basically saying that um, that bodies have an individuality for certain nutrients. Mm. And when you can get that balance right, it's almost like making a cake with the right ingredients. Yeah. A lot of people are born needing different 
levels of certain ingredients. Mm. And if they need more copper, for instance, or they, you know, they're, you know, always low in iron or something like that, it may show up as well right. as a so-called mental illness. Right. And by dealing with that, and it's certainly the, the most forward-thinking people when it has to do with things like bipolar disease, even depression, they see that there is a physical cause that usually has to do with nutrient levels. Mm. And as Lynn says, vitamin D, mainly from the sun, and especially important when you do live in northern climes, because we really don't get enough strong sunlight anyway. But otherwise, supplement or the foods rich in the vitamin are beef liver, cheese and eggs. So there you are. Have an omelette and then you won't have depression and schizophrenia. And make sure you definitely do it when you're pregnant. Thanks, Lynn. Lyme disease is rarely out of the news, and with good reason. It affects many, many thousands of people. It's very debilitating. It's life-destroying. And it's all too easily caught. And um, as probably most everyone knows, it uh, really is from a, a, a tick bite that can cause it. So an infected tick carrying the Lyme bacteria can cause it, and it's, it's um, one of the uh, single most um, sort of obvious signs that you've been bitten is a, is a circle, a red circle on your skin, but it's not always there. In the very early stages, um, yeah, there's some evidence to, to suggest that uh, strong antibiotics can actually reverse the problem if taken within in the first month or six weeks of, of the bite. Thereafter, you're moving into chronic phase. And frankly, there ain't much that medicine can do for you. And, you know, you just are, you live with this terrible thing. Except you don't have to, because researchers from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health have been doing a lot of road testing on, in fact, they did 35 different essential oils on Lyme disease bacteria to see or which ones reacted. And they've actually come up with a super eight, which they say can knock Lyme disease over, if you like, uh, kill it dead in seven days. And some of those include garlic oil, allspice berries, myrrh, spiked ginger lily blossom, thyme, cumin, um, a few others. And um, they all are very, very effective. Not only are they very effective, they are more effective than the standard antibiotic that they're currently uh, offering for, to sufferers. In fact, they call it persister forms of Lyme bacteria. That's the um, one for which we would otherwise call chronic, which is now resistant to uh, antibiotic treatment. And, they are, and, they, and they, quite interestingly, they did a, a study a little while ago that in fact included some others essential oils which were also um, effective, including cloves and citronella. So look, there's an awful lot that you can do, which is great news for, for people who otherwise you know, spend the rest of their lives suffering from it. Absolutely. And what's so interesting about this is, uh, first of all, uh, that second group, which had cloves mm. and cinnamon bark, wintergreen essential oils, citronella, oregano. Now, a number of those are known to be um, really good bug killers. Oregano mm. oil is used for parasites of all varieties, as is clove. Um, <clears throat> these are, and cinnamon is known to be a really fantastic um, 
um, and potent uh, killer of so many things, viruses, etc. Um, well, they found that this was better and worked better than the leading champion antibiotic for Lyme sufferers. And this goes back to so much evidence when they look at trying to kill parasites, trying to kill many, many superbugs, that herbs and spices are more powerful than anything else medicine has to offer. Mm. And more and more when we look at potent cancer fighters, potent bug fighters, where we find some of the best answers, Brian, is nature. Mm. You know, and that to me is fascinating. Nature provides. I mean, there are many, many powerful foods, and we're only beginning to find the real power of spices. Mm. And I think what's interesting is that you know, a, a prestigious uh, university such as the Johns Hopkins is doing this research, which makes me think there must be some independent money washing around, which is allowing this research to take place. Because traditionally, all medical research is funded by the drug company, whose drug they wish to see looking good so they put lots of money into that and effectively the research is merely a marketing tool which they use so here we have um, you know, a prestigious uh, academic organization doing this research coming up with fantastic uh, results and demonstrating yet again that there is always an, an alternative to drugs absolutely there's an alternative answer for every problem the eagle-eared amongst you who noticed in our last uh, little program that there is always an alternative to drugs might also like to know that there's always an answer in nature as to protect and guard against problems that we experience in life. And um, one they've looked at is memory loss, increasingly a problem as we get older, which I suppose can eventually lead to dementia, but they're saying it doesn't have to be. As long as you have a diet that's rich in uh, leafy greens, vegetables that are dark orange and red, and berries, and washed down with a glass of orange juice, they recommend, all of which can help sort of ward off memory loss as we get older. Again, you know, we did looked at Johns Hopkins last time. This time it's Harvard, no less, looking at this, um, this, this remedy, which I think is absolutely fascinating. So they looked at a group of an enormous study 28,000 men who were tracked for 20 years, starting at the age of 51, and then just sort of looked at their diets and looked at their memory, looked, did tests on their memory to determine that this is the best uh, dietary formula for maintaining memory. And I don't know whether it includes cognition skills generally, but certainly memory. And... Um, and you need to eat six or more servings a day of vegetable. And when you think a serving is only one cup or, of raw vegetables or two cups of leafy greens, you know, you're gonna, it has an enormous payback. And it's not that much to eat. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, it's just a cup is not that hard to consume, I would argue. Um, you know, you, and the same with those who ate the fruits. Uh, and they were 47% less likely to develop memory problems and thinking problems cognition issues as they got older so you know and, and the early younger you are the earlier you start the better it's going to be but even at the age of 51 when they started this still had a very positive impact 
Well, you know, this is just going along with what we've been saying in this podcast about nature holding the answer to so many illnesses. Mm. And certainly in a forthcoming issue of What Doctors Don't Tell You, we're going to reveal the three top cancer fighters that prevent cancer, one of which prevents breast cancer by 64%. You need less than two teaspoons a day of this substance. And guess what? It's a food. Hmm. And we're finding that more and more that so many foods become the most powerful preventative of all. So forget low-dose aspirin and all of those other things you've been told about, you know, keeping your memory sharp by taking that. The best thing you can do is eat more fruit mm. these of these particular kinds and eat your greens, eat your green leafy vegetables. And the other interesting thing about this, I felt, was the higher preventative, the one that prevented memory loss by 47%, was fruit. Now, fruit is demonized a lot of the time because they say, oh, it's high in sugar, it will raise your blood sugar levels, and blah de blah de blah But they're finding that, you know, fruits, berries, um, but also orange juice, supposedly a very high sugar drink, um, are all very preventative. Now, they didn't specify orange juice being... Um, freshly squeezed. Mm, they didn't and say that, no. They didn't say that. I would throw that in as a suggestion myself mm. because we do know mm. that juices sitting in a carton do turn into more sugar. Sure. But even so, this basically says that not only the low fruit fruit like berries, the high sugar fruit like, uh, or the high, uh, the low sugar fruit like berries, um, but the high sugar fruit like citrus still is really great for preserving your marbles. Well, I think everyone knows we're pretty trendy. And so immediately mention Lady Gaga. And last year, even I know this, Lady Gaga had to cancel a tour because she was in such pain. And that pain was caused by fibromyalgia. And there was nothing apparently anyone could do to help her. But had she read a bit further or read what doctors don't tell you, she would know that, in fact, there was something that could help. Um, the leaves of a tree found in the Amazon, the Anona Muricate L tree. Don't ask me to say what that is. I don't know. But anyway, there be, it's been used in traditional medicine for hundreds of years to treat inflammation, pain, infections, diabetes and cancer. So it does everything, this leaf. It's been used for centuries, but uh, the researchers from the University of Seville looked at it in terms of alleviating chronic pain, and especially the chronic pain, anxiety and depression that's linked with fibromyalgia itself, and found that it had incredible effects. Um, and it, quite quickly, too, they, um, they tested it for about one month. And it, in, it over, at the end of that time, it uh, had reversed most of the worst chronic symptoms. I mean, this is the, the thing that's so amazing, um, is when you find some of these traditional medicines um, that are usually poo-pooed by you know, modern scientists, you mm. find that they are much, much more powerful mm. than any drugs that have been come to the fore. And of course, doctors just throw up their hands 
and aren't really sure what to do with fibromyalgia other than uh, people like a panel member on our panel of what doctors don't tell you, Dr. Sarah Myhill, who treats fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue all the time. Mm. Now she uses a comprehensive approach with diet and looking at the mitochondria of the cells and, and recharging those power packs of the cells. But here's a really interesting situation of the single remedy being able to alleviate so many of the symptoms mm. of fibromyalgia mm. and, and probably its cause as well. Um, but I think what's so interesting where drugs will never approximate this is that with products like this, there are so many cofactors aside from the active ingredient that really help to create the effect. With a drug, they usually try to isolate one active ingredient and then assume that that will target uh, what they want, target the area that needs to be fixed and only hit that target. But of course, these, the problem of isolating and taking out any individual element, just like taking out the active ingredient of aspirin from willow bark, which is where it comes from, you lose all those cofactors and mm. you don't know what it does instead. Yeah, right. And it's also that age-old problem of treating the symptom as if it were the disease. And of course, the underlying disease is still there. But look, we've come to the end of our time, Lynn. Another 30 minutes of scintillating fun and products, I think. Fair to say. And um, so we better bid adieu to everyone. But, you know, this, just on this last point about traditional medicine, you know, it, it, these people have been using it for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're not idiots, are they? They're not going to use something that doesn't work. So, obviously, it does work. So, look, on which note, we say thanks very much for watching, for listening. We're What Doctors Don't Tell You, the website, wddty.com, and we hope to see you soon. Check out our magazine that's on sale now in uh, stores near you good Whole Foods stores, um, um, news agents, and supermarkets Barnes near and you. Barnes and Noble, if you're and, in the States. Yeah, and do check out our natural mm -hmm. solutions because, as we say, in almost every instance with almost every disease, there's a natural solution, a non-drug solution for your problem. Thanks so much. Thanks.